the city of splendors, crown of the north. And now we've got secret societies to deal with. It's one thing having a cult on our hands, but now we've got secret do-gooders too. Next thing you know, the Blackstaff is going to send her gray hands down on us, then the Zentarum are going to step up, and it'll be an old-school street fight. Or something, maybe these Harpers just want to hire the agency. Anyway, the folks in the Castle Ward call it the City of Splendors, but to everyone else, it's still just water deep. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Adventure They Wrote. Uh, when we last left our adventurers, they were in the offices of the Waterdeep Detective Agency, recapping several of the things that have occurred over the course of this investigation. And Celine discovered uh, a note card that had been slipped into her pocket with a secret message imprinted in magical ink uh, that when revealed uh, shown a harp. So we will start off this episode with Celine rolling a history check with advantage. That is a 16 for Celine. Okay, 16 is good. So you, you understand that what you're seeing is the symbol for the Harpers. Now, the Harpers are a group within Faerun that works for good. They are a secret group comprised mainly of bards and rangers. Sort of uh, uh, your average, a hero that could potentially work on the fringes of society. So you, you've heard of this organization. It's whispered about in taverns and amongst adventuring parties. Uh, it's one of those things that lots of adventurers have a story about the time they ran into a harper, um, and most of them are completely made up uh, to the point that no one knows for sure if the organization is real, but you've received this note card with their, their symbol imprinted on it. And Selene is the only one that can see the symbol, or did everybody see it when she cast Sea Invisibility at second level? That's right. Sea Invisibility, which is definitely a spell I knew about in the player's handbook <laughs> when I conceived the secret message. So mm-hmm. um, that that did not in any way come as a surprise to me. <laughs> I don't. I think that's just for you. I think just you see that. As Celine realizes what the symbol means, she's going to look up with wide eyes at probably Max and Ledger, because although I, I don't think that Doran would necessarily have much knowledge of them, but even though maybe we haven't necessarily been on the right side of the situation at times, all of us inherently try to do more good than harm. So she's gonna look at both of them and say, Max, have you ever seen a harp before? I'm classically trained in the harp. (laughs) I grew up with it. I went to a private school and, uh, no. No. (laughs) You should have have been a bard. 
uh, you know, I, I try. I went to Bard school. I got kicked out for stealing yeah, those, too many things. The colleges um, are pretty hard. Bard college. <laughs> um, no, uh, Max would love to roll whatever you would like him to roll to see if he recognizes uh, what she's talking about. And Ledger would like to do the same. Uh, yeah, I think a history check, but no advantage. 10 on the dice, so 13 all day for Max's history check. A ledger is an 18, which I would think likely means that the Harpers broke up one of his operations at one point. <laughs> is probably what he knows about them. He has an intimate knowledge. Yeah. I think I think Max definitely knows, like he's heard stories about the Harpers. Um, but maybe you were in the camp that like, this is made up nonsense. Right. This is, it, it's not real. It's the boogeyman. It's the, the well, the, the underworld equivalent of the boogeyman, right? right. This is the, uh, the story that criminals tell each other huddled around whatever the fantasy equivalent of one of those barrel drum fires is yeah. uh, to, like, spook each other. Torch under the chin. Yeah. <laughs> Torch under the chin. <laughs> that one snuck up on me. <laughs> Doran's going to ask Casper if he knows who the Harpers are. Ooh, okay. Interesting. Interesting take. Uh, Sam, you are aware of the Harpers, um, not because of a broken up, like, thing, um, but because while you were working in the Luskin crime family, uh, it was something that they, in kind of the, the, the circles where you were, uh, it was sort of like a thing like, we have to watch out for that. We have to watch out for the Harpers. We can't show up on the Harpers' radar. Uh, so you're aware when she says it's a harp, you get that it, it means the Harpers. Ledger then would have a, a mixture of feelings. Uh, you know, for the first time, that means relief to him, uh, as opposed to in his past, where that would be a major, a major problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They might have aided in the donations to the orphanage, though. Yeah, for sure. I think about what sort of run-in a character like Ledger might have with a group like this, given the amount of time that he's been in Waterdeep. But uh, I think in my in my head, I imagine it in much the way that goons talk about Batman, <laughs> where yes. like they're they're yes. loading illegal goods into a truck and then. <laughs> You know, one of them says something about the Harpers, and they're like, those aren't real, and then the Harpers just show up and bust up the whole operation. They start throwing their Harper rings. <laughs> um, Brad, the introduction of Casper has, I, I feel, thrown not a wrench into the gears, but it's, it's an interesting layer to the adventure that I, well, obviously, like, I never, I didn't anticipate you taking a captive, let alone <laughs> subsuming a ghost. The, the bartender's soul into your brain. Um, but what I found is whenever I'm rolling for him, I roll really well. It's because I don't. Someone's got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Casper is aware of the Harpers. He does know who they are. Um, and he knows that around the time that the Waterdeep Detective Agency sort of wandered into the tavern, the leadership of their organization was starting to get worried that the Harpers were onto them and knew what was happening. So when Casper tells Doran that there's a secretive group of do-gooders 
that are assisting in this investigation, essentially. Doran, and everyone's talking about Doran, just goes, <laughs> And nobody probably knows why, because he didn't display that, but... <laughs> right. He didn't turn his celestial Bluetooth on when he asked <laughs> Casper right. about the symbol. So now he looks knowledgeable. Max, you don't need to roll an insight check to know that Doran has a secret. I feel like <laughs> Doran wears his secrets around his neck. <laughs> yeah. I keep them in the display case. <laughs> well... I guess, Celine, why do you ask about the Harpers? So it seems they've left us a message. I found this card while we were still talking to Bayron in my pocket. And there was a set of invisible ink on it. And it's a harp. Did they, is it just a, just a symbol or did they say that they want to talk to us? What's... What's the what's the haps? I don't. It only is a harp. So, I, I mean, from what I know, you know, they're they're not the most forthcoming in their actions. They tend to sort of operate in the shadows. But my guess is one of them must have been there. They must have either seen the crystal or knew that. I had it. I don't. I don't really know. Well, I mean, it's not like we've been making our business secret <laughs> lately. I mean, it's you know. true. I disagree. We're we're quite discreet. We're very professional. Completely, completely professional. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Max is going to walk over to the front door and open it. He's just going to open the door. Hector squawks. Ah. <laughs> He's just stunned by Max opening the front door. I don't know. <laughs> Max figures that if a secret society like the Harpers, who is dedicated to doing good, has found out that an independent detective agency is going up against an undead threat and uh, has the wherewithal to slip Celine a message inside Bayron's place... They know where we are. 100% I was followed. No no doubt. So he's just going to open the door. Standing in the hallway is no one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me. They're invisible, too. I cast see invisibility again. I love the idea that there would be someone there. That would be so great. And Jason, as soon as you said he, you opened the door, like in my head, a hundred different scenarios played out. <laughs> but no one's there. Yeah, so Max is going to, uh, he'll do the, the cursory, like, look around and, uh, you know, like, all right. And, and um, uh, he, will, he will leave the door open as if to say... Come on in whenever you guys get here, Harpers. I think Celine will also try to inspect the card further just to see if she might have missed something after casting the spell. I think I want to do an Arcana check on it since the, the Sea Invisibility spell was the thing that revealed it. Awesome. Go ahead and roll your Arcana check. Looks like 16 is my number for the day. <laughs> so you can tell... Now that you have seen visibility on it, you're almost detecting layers 
to the way that this thing is put together. And I'm thinking about um, in shows with holograms, when they have blueprints on the holograms and they kind of build out and sort of unfold out of each other, you're seeing that there, there's some sort of other enchantment on this in addition to the invisible harp that was printed on the ink. But this enchantment has more to do with the paper itself and not what is printed on it. Okay. Hey, Ledger. Do you have any glasses or anything in your bag that I could maybe borrow? Ledger frequently breaks his glasses, <laughs> uh, which something that the, the Countess used to fix... You should have spares, right? <laughs> I think he has a pair where only one of the lenses is broken, and he fishes those out and gives you, so you do have one shattered and, and one good lens okay. to work with. She's going to take that, and then she's also going to ask, Ledger, do you also have a, a book or, or some paper I can, can look at? Yes. She doesn't explain herself often, so this is just... <laughs> Ledger has a lot of books and papers, <laughs> and he actually starts to like give like a um, a benefits analysis of each different type of paper based on the weight, whether um, it's plain or ruled or has dots or has a grid. Um, and I imagine that um, that Celine might get impatient with that, so. Just hands her a piece of paper. Yes, you you imagine correctly. Celine just takes one of them from you. <laughs> I love in, in in my head. He does go into every. He's like, "Do you need college ruled? Do you need? I've got hexagons. I've got square grid. I've Papyrus, got papyrus. Yeah. I have animal <laughs> parchment." That's before he starts talking about which brand. Yeah, <laughs> the Waterdeep brands. <laughs> Now, if Gilly were here, it would have been a different conversation because then they would have also gone into another level of paper and functionality and purpose. So, <laughs> anyhow, she she just takes one of them from him. She she holds up the glasses and she actually goes back over to the fire. She's she's feeling both pieces, like the the card that she has and the um, paper that Ledger gave her just to see if there's any sort of like textural difference between the two and she's holding them both up towards the light to see if there's anything that she can notice based on like the transparency of both pieces to see if there's something more in the card holding the little like the glasses as well she's she's trying to like squint her eye around it so that she can hold it in her eye while she's looking at you're like like, monocling it yeah she's got a monocle yeah Um, So with just a visual inspection, you're able to tell that the card is heavier. um, And when you hold it up to the light, much less light penetrates the card. Roll an insight check. Oh, that's not good. That's a four. It's not 16 anymore. It's four. I have. Yeah, I have no further insight to offer you. (laughs) Okay, she's going to continue looking at it. Um, she's going to try to peel the corners and see if she can, like... Like, maybe there's, you know, like a sticker. Like, there's something in there. Because she's... She doesn't understand... Like, Celine is, is still pretty young. She is... She has some... 
knowledge behind her from her street smarts and things that she's learned as she's grown up, but she's not super intelligent comparatively to, I think, the rest of the cast. So she's just going to start to try to peel it. You think of like a kid trying to like take a, a puzzle apart. Yeah. So you you peel at the, the corner um, and you realize that it is, it's one solid piece of cardstock. Um, but you also realize that whatever is, whatever is going on with the paper itself isn't physical. It's not like a physical thing. It's some sort of enchantment, some sort of magic that's kind of layered into the fibers of the card itself. Okay, so she's she's going to hand Ledger his glasses. She considered just tossing his piece of paper into the fire, but she knew that he'd probably get mad, and we don't have time for that. So she hands him his paper back, especially since he seems to have some sort of attachment to the types of paper that he carries. And then she's going to hand it to him and say, Ledger, since you seem to be such an expert, I can't tell what's on this, but there's something else here. I can't see through it, even with my sea invisibility. And there's some kind of enchantment. Ledger reaches out and grabs it, and he also looks it over very closely to see what he might be able to see in that little corner that Celine tried to peel, or if there's anything on there that makes sense to him. For Ledger, what you're realizing is that this is very nice cardstock. This is the premium stuff. <laughs> Whoever sent this did not cheap out on it. It is really good. A serious organization. Yeah. Uh, just a, a high like att- attention to quality. Um, but beyond that, you're not really getting anything from it. It just, to you... This appears to be a single piece of very high-quality cardstock. Ledger's just sitting there having the full Patrick Bateman moment where he's looking at this business card and he's just sweating because it's so perfect. (laughs) (laughs) It's flawless. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. The cut, the parchment, the thickness... Yeah, I, other than that, Ledger's kind of stuck on, on what to do with it. Um, you know, as familiar as he is with accounting and bookkeeping, uh, usually that that is not magical. Um, so he's kind of at a loss and um, just sort of holds it out to see if anyone else wants to take a look. Yeah, Max, why don't you take a look? You seem to have some experience with cards. Yes. You love business cards. I I like the fact that <laughs> the barbarian and the rogue <laughs> are both trying to look at a magic message. <laughs> I rolled a 17 on the dice, so um, that's... Wait, what's my investigation? Oh, right. Plus nine. So that's a 26 <laughs> for investigation <laughs> on Max's investigation, but I, I think... I think that Max would just give it to Doran to have him detect magic on it, but I don't know. What, what does a 26 get me? So a 26 is actually, it is going to offer something helpful. What you're able to, you don't know paper quality the way Ledger does, but you are able to tell that there's something about this paper that's different than other paper. Um, it's a slightly different texture, a slightly different feel to it. It just doesn't feel like a normal piece of paper. Well, I think since he was given a Doran, he's actually gonna gonna cast a spell on it, but it's not gonna be detect magic. It's gonna be find traps. Ooh. To see if it's magically booby trapped. Mm-hmm. And it does affect 
It says specifically you could find a glyph of warding. <gasps> it says, uh, a trap for the purpose of the spell includes anything that would inflict a sudden or unexpected effect you consider harmful, harmful or undesirable, which was specifically intended as such by its creator. Oh, I love it. It makes me really wish I had put a trap. <laughs> 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 it's one of those decisions... Yeah, like, as a DM and a storyteller, I'm like, oh, that's such a good idea. There should have been a trap. But, Doran, you cast your spell, and there's nothing there. You, you it, it, it remains a normal piece of cardstock. Doran looks relieved. He didn't want to find a trap from these guys, because there's... <laughs> they might be his new heroes. Maybe. We'll see. Ledger is sort of puzzled, but he looks at Celine and he says, if we were given this by an organization that's secretive, maybe they want us to find them. How might this help us find them? After way too long of an awkward pause, which you know Selene is super good at awkward, she goes goes over to Doran and, and takes the card and she'll cast Detect Magic on it. That old black magic has me in its spell That old black magic that you weave so well So what you find, and you find... When when you cast Detect Magic, you see almost auras. You see like a, a glow, and you can tell by the brilliance of the glow how powerful the spell is and by how it glows what circle of magic was used to cast the spell. And so what you see when you cast a tech magic on this note card, the um, symbol of the harp itself glows a little bit, like a muted yellow hue that shows that it was a minor transmutation spell that was put on the ink to render it invisible until you were able to detect it. The paper itself glows bright yellow, which shows you that it was a much more powerful transmutation spell that was put on the paper. And you know that transmutation spells are spells that help things change shape or uh, mend or get put back together or uh, turn from one thing into another. That tells me that we need to dispel magic it. So I imagine it in my head as in like a cartoon when you discover something in like a treasure box and everything lights up and their eyes get really big except for no one else can see this so you just see Celine go oh and then she hands it off to Doran and says Doran can you dispel magic? There's something more here, and I I think somebody somehow transformed this. It looks like transmutation or, or something was used to, to hide the message. Uh, Doran, being somewhat of um, a trans transforming person himself, <laughs> suggests everybody take a step back. We don't know how big it's going to be. Or what it's going to be. Ledger listens to him. He steps back over by Hector's cage. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't need to take it outside. It can't be that big. It's going to be fine. Okay. <laughs> so, dispel magic. 
Uh, any spell third level or lower on the target ends. For each spell higher than the target, make an ability check using my spellcasting ability. The DC is 10 plus the spell's level, if it's higher than level 3. So Doran holds the card. He's, he holds it in both hands and he speaks the magic words and does the incantations. And then drops it on the floor so it doesn't like blow his hands up. Hot potato. Here, catch! <laughs> <laughs> Doran, you drop the card on the floor. And the rest of you feel the pressure in the room change. And the card hops. And the pressure increases. And it starts to get warm. And the card starts to shake. And it hops again. And you hear a hiss fill the offices. Light starts to dance off the surface of the card, cast by the fire in the fireplace. And a low hum sets in, and it gets louder, and then the card pops, and it turns into a little horn. And it, it rolls a little bit, but it's it's uh, like a cone-shaped horn. And so it just, it kind of rolls until it finds the natural low point in the floor, and then it rests there. Was Celine maintaining concentration on her detect magic spell? I have it for ten minutes. So the transmutation that was both on the card itself and the symbol on the card is gone. Does it ha- is it a horn as in it can make noise horn? No, that's a great you question. you know what she's going to do yeah, next. That was, that was, that is, is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Yep. Uh, no worries. No, it is not uh, open on both ends. It's, okay. it's uh, actually closed on both ends. It's solid the whole way through. Oh, so it's like an animal horn. So once she realizes that, or a creature horn, I guess I should say, because we don't really know, um, she's going to hand it to Doran and go, Doran... Have you seen one of these before? I already rolled my nature check. <laughs> 20 on the die. Ooh. Whoa! <laughs> That's going to be a big one. Plus six for 26 total. So he just grabs it and looks at it. With a discerning eye, apparently. Mm-hmm. Very discerning. Doran, you know, uh, because of your natural 20 on that nature check, um, that this is, uh, without a doubt... A horn from a creature that you have never actually seen before, but are aware of because of the amount of time you've spent out in the wilderness. This is a unicorn's horn. What? With the spirals and everything? <laughs> yeah. Is it only Max who's seen a unicorn then? I think you're right. Yeah. I forgot oh, yeah. that entirely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, because I was really mad. Yes. I was very upset <laughs> that I was not there when he opened up the crystal box. I cannot remember who actually saw the unicorn other than Max. I. It wasn't a unicorn. It was a hallucination brought on by me touching a trapped object because I didn't check a trap. You had a conversation with it. <laughs> yep. Max, I feel like there's a strong element of like, He's back. <laughs> that you might be feeling right now. Ledger would like to see if he realizes anything about this in the context of a clue. Like if there's any locations he knows in Waterdeep that have unicorn in the name or anything like that. Uh, roll an insight check. That is a 10 on the dice. Plus 5 so 15. There is an inn in the trades ward called the Unicorn's Horn. I enthusiastically share that with the group. Doran hands the horn over to Max like it's a key. 
and adds, and then goes and adds it to the investigation wall. So do we go check that out before we go to the... I can never remember. City of the Dead? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, I would say so. I think so. <laughs> I'm not going... I don't think the group has the power to be at the City of the Dead with the, no assistance. Celine has heard of the things that go on there. <laughs> so we go in and we just start saying stuff like, well, I don't want to harp on you or anything, but we're looking for some people. <laughs> nah, if they gave this to us, they know that we're coming. Yeah. I'll have a harp logger. <laughs> like, we get it. The door's there. <laughs> yeah, let's, um, let's head. Let's go. Let's go to the unicorn's horn. Uh, so by this time, it's, uh, you know, approaching afternoon in Waterdeep. So definitely lunchtime. You're, you're going to hit the lunch rush. Uh, but at the same time, the streets are largely empty again. Uh, there are fewer people out. And you're starting to notice there's a different feel to the city, um, almost a, a repressed sort of yearning uh, that just kind of pervades the the uh, environment. It's been a hard winter. It's bitterly cold out, and yeah, it's it's getting colder. There's no snow anymore, uh, and what's there is kind of this dirty, slushy, gritty mess. Everything is kind of damp, uh, which just helps that cold, you know, sink right into your bones. You arrive at the unicorn's horn, um, the sign above the door, a wooden uh, rectangle with a uni- that spiraled unicorn's horn kind of carved into it in relief, and then painted a sort of dirty yellow that maybe at one point was gold. Uh, but has fallen into such disrepair that now it, it just kind of looks sickly. This tavern, or this inn, you realize is right, uh, right across the high road, which is one of the main roads that cuts through Waterdeep. Uh, and it gets um, the most foot traffic through the city. This is where a lot of you know merchants on their way to the castle ward would wind up. Uh, so this, it's a very busy tavern, which is sort of at odds with its not dilapidated, but but kind of approaching dilapidated appearance. Max leads the way, pushes on in. So the interior, uh, slightly better than what you were expecting. Um, and there are a handful of people inside uh, that look like they've braved that biting cold to come in and, and get, you know, a serving of hot food and it's quiet. It's not exactly bustling. The, the people that are in there are almost in there on their own. They, they aren't, you know, in groups and, and carousing. The bartender is standing behind the bar and leaning back against the, the shelving behind him. Um, in every other bar that you've been in, even the scupper den, uh, that barkeep has been cleaning, wiping an oily rag inside those glasses. Here... Um, he seems laid back. He's he, he's not as concerned with it. Max will belly up to the bar and order some whiskey. The bartender gives a shrug. Not the best customer service that Max has ever gotten. But he also doesn't really appear to take Max's goblin heritage into account. He, you know, without really batting an eye at a goblin patron, he reaches under the bar, pulls out a bottle 
tugs the cork out and pours a glass of whiskey. Ledger moves over to Max's left and just gives a sign that he'd like the same. He sighs and he pulls another glass out and he sets it in front of you, Ledger, and he pours another glass. Selene will come up behind them, sort of tugging on Doran. Doran, come on, we should... Come on. And she sits down next to Max on the right and says, Do you have anything with something swimming in it? (laughs) (laughs) She really enjoyed the thing that was at the scupper den. I legit guffawed when when that happened. Doran's halfway up into his seat when he just pauses and looks at Celine. (laughs) Ledger quickly drinks the whiskey in front of him. As Celine says this, yeah, he Celine he gestures with the same bottle to you, like yeah, there's something swimming in there. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He he cocks an eyebrow and he gives you a look that you're probably pretty used to at this point. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That just sort of, without saying anything, says, "Did you really just ask me if you <laughs> if I had anything with something swimming in it?" Uh, because no, he does not. He he's like no. Yeah, when when he responds like that, she's just gonna look at him and be like, "Well, the other place did, and it was." Never mind. Can I? I'll just have whatever they're having. He pours you another glass of the same, and then gestures with the bottle to Doran. Like, do you want in on this too? Because this is your last. I'm putting this bottle down, and I'm not getting it back again. <laughs> <laughs> Doran puts his hand up. Milk for me. And, and leans on the, the bar all tough. <laughs> I think you'd probably have a better chance with something swimming in it. He sets the bottle back underneath and sighs and walks back into a kitchen um, and comes back a moment later with uh, a tall, frothy glass of goat milk. Internally, Dorn will give Casper a thumbs up and then start drinking it. Casper is not pleased with the goat's milk. He's thrilled it's not a Chulton meat pie, but... Um, he was he was more excited for the whiskey. Ledger's just looking around, seeing if anything's changing in the environment, if anyone is doing anything, just keeping an eye out. Uh, not really. I'll give you I'll give you a firm count. Uh, you see six other people total in the the tavern room of the Unicorn's Horn. Uh, four of them are patrons, and they're at tables alone. Uh, and they have the, the sort of eating posture of someone who is eating alone. Um, they're hunched over their food a little bit, and they're just kind of absorbed in what they're doing. One of them is a waiter who is moving around and wiping down tables. Um, you get the impression that he is potentially preparing for uh, the evening meal uh, that they are hoping will be a little bit busier than this paltry lunch crowd. And uh, the final person is the bartender behind the bar, who's resumed his position, leaning against those shelves uh, and just kind of surveying everyone out in the room with a very disinterested gaze. Max would like to make an active investigation check to see if there's anything that we see or notice that would point us in the direction where we need to go. That is a 15 on the dice, so 24 all day. Yeah. Um, I'm going to reference Psych again. 
Max, you do the deep, perceptive sweep of the room, and you are taking in things that the average citizen would miss. You realize that one of the patrons is married, but's remo- but, but has removed his wedding ring. Uh, and you can tell by the tan lines on his hand. You're picking up these small things all across the room, and you realize that one of the patrons in particular has given your party a little bit more attention since coming in than the others have. The others glanced up uh, temporarily, but then went back to their meals. This one has looked up a couple times since you came in. So Dorno, he'll chug the milk, finish it all in one gulp, and he'll He'll put it down on the table. <sighs> Brain freeze. And he'll look up at the bartender after wiping his mouth and say, uh, Well, uh, some of our friends sent us here. We we're wondering if you knew anything about it. <laughs> and give him like a, when he says friends, he'll give him like some waggly eyebrows. Um, the bartender says uh, he, he rocks forward off of the shelves. And he says... What friends would those be? <laughs> Dorn Pantomime's playing a harp. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bartender arches an eyebrow, and uh, Pantomime's playing the harp back to you, but, like, questioningly. I think Selena's a little confused by what the two of them are doing, and she's taken aback by, like, just the weirdness, which is strange to her because usually she's the one that's causing this reaction. I like it. (laughs) And she's gonna start like patting herself down like checking her pockets. She knows the crystal's in her right pocket so she just checks to make sure it's still there. She's checking her other pocket. She's got some hidden pockets. If there's any just just to see if like it The last time she walked into a bar, she ended up with a random thing that turned into a unicorn horn. So she's just checking to make sure. I love it. It makes me wish that there was something in your pockets, but there isn't. (sighs) Fletch, is there a place that we could move to in this establishment where if somebody did want to walk up and engage with us in private, they would be more enabled to do it? Um, There is a, a corner booth that's currently empty. Uh, that isn't uh, visible from the door when you enter and kind of further away from the rest of the patrons on the floor. It looks like an area that maybe is, you know, primarily utilized um, during dinner time and not as much at lunch. But it's not roped off or anything, so it's still accessible. Ledger sees what what Doran's doing and is... Ledger's, like, visibly embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) Doran, how about... We go over to this table over here, and I don't think the bartender much much cares for our company. Let's let's find our way over here and maybe order another round of drinks. Is the bartender still playing the harp? Uh, no, he stopped. He got bored. Oh. And Ledger will will try to lead the group over, just so that you know if somebody does want to meet us, they would be more likely to. Yes, Doran will fall suit and. As we walk over, Max will give a nod to the guy who has been scoping us out a little bit. So you guys get over there, um, and as you're getting settled, that guy, Jason, the one that had been scoping you out a little bit, 
he uh, sort of gives a very um, subdued glance around just to make sure no one is paying attention to him. Um, and he gets up and he he sidles over to the table. And Selene looks at you and gives another quick glance to Max and Ledger and Doran. And he says quietly under his breath, uh, but not quite a whisper, you trust these men? She's going to lean and go, what? (laughs) (laughs) As a straight face as I could do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He, He leans down closer and he says, like, just a little bit louder. You trust these men? As he's saying it, she's going to get really close to his face. Just, like, almost touching faces. Yeah? He nods, and he sits down at the booth. uh, And he says, in a more uh, conversational tone, but still... You know, he his behavior is that uh, like he's talking about the the price of the fish at the market, and um, you know, uh, he's very casual about everything. Um, but he says, "I see you uh, discovered the the clue, the uh, the path that led you here." She's gonna look at him and go, "Yeah, you." You should really work on your instructions. He says, uh, well, if they were easy, then anyone could be a harper. So you are a harper. He grins. He gives a, a smile. She tricked and he says, no, I mean, <laughs> what do you think you're doing here? Well, we don't know. We, we have had a very strange day today. And now we have a, a horn. So... You tell us what's going on. What do you think we're doing here? He indicates Max and Ledger and Doran. And he says, well, I think they're here because they're your friends, your colleagues. Yes, it's much, much more of a business relationship, actually. That, that's true. He, he nods. He inclines his head in, you know, to recognize what you uh, like. And, you know, sure. Sure, that's what it is. And then he locks eyes with you, Celine, and he says, I think you're here uh, so I can figure out if you're Harper material. Huh? <laughs> you're going to be the one that goes bump in the night for the creepy and crawlies <laughs> down in the down in the underdark. Usually she only goes bump in the night because she's stumbling into things. Yeah, they may they may have not looked at her background well enough. Um, Okay, Uh, (laughs) yeah, I think what Celine would do immediately would just kind of like have another like this is this is the episode of perplexed looks, right? Like she's just she she hasn't anticipated most of the things that have happened so far, Um, and usually she's the one that's throwing. (laughs) <laughs> that's doing things that perplex others, so she's not normally used to these types of situations. The season of Celine being out of her element. Well, I'm flattered, but 
Why did you go to so much trouble to get us here? He sits back in the booth and he pulls a flask out from his inside jacket pocket. Uh, and he says, well, realistically, it's not that much trouble. Uh, we just have to figure out, you know, we need to make sure a Harper is quick on their feet. You can't, we don't let just anyone in. You've got to be able to figure stuff out. That's While what... he's saying it, she's going to just reach over and try to grab the flask. <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually just lets it go. Like as you reach out, he, he hands it over um, and doesn't break stride talking. Um, yeah, Harpers have got to be quick on their feet. They've got to be able to puzzle these things out. That's what put you on our radar in the first place, this, you know, organization here in Waterdeep, and you're a part in it. And he gives an acknowledging nod to Max and Doran and Ledger. All right, she's going to smell the flask. It's the good stuff. She's definitely going to take a swig of the flask. Then she hands it back, and she goes, interesting. He takes it back, and he, he takes a, a swig out of it, too. And then he caps it and, and puts it back into his jacket. What type of role do you see me playing in this organization? Well, believe it or not, our presence in Waterdeep isn't what it used to be. And uh, there have been movements in the city as of late that compel us to increase that presence. And as we were looking to put boots on the ground, uh, your name came up. Your role would be quiet but in the future, it might become necessary for the Harpers to call on you to uh, ferret out information or um, perhaps um, strike against an enemy of Faerun. I see. Well, I'm not sure if you're fully aware of my past history. Based on what my colleagues have told me, I don't know that I necessarily fit the, the roles you typically fill. He says, we're aware of your pouch. <laughs> Harpers have to be flexible. And we know that sometimes you have to get your hands dirty. Uh, for us, it's less about specific methods and more about intent. And what we've been able to determine is that you always try to do the right thing, even if sometimes your methods are questionable. Very questionable. <laughs> all right. Very gooey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that all sounds quite interesting. How about this? We are, I'm sure you're aware, working on a very difficult case right now. And it seems in the past, others who have tried to work on this have not met an end most would favor. So, what if we try this? What if you help us? And then, if I like what I see, I'll try out your organization. This is the most negotiation Celine will ever do, probably. <laughs> he grins, uh, and you're getting the idea that this is uh, someone who um, doesn't take things super seriously and uh, enjoys what he does quite a bit. And he says... You mean uh, a trial basis. Uh, you give us a shot, we give you a shot. Yeah, that seems fair to me. He kind of claps his hands together a little bit, rubs them together in, you know, kind of excitement. And uh, he says louder, 
she's in and everyone else in the bar stands up and kind of like pushes their food away and kind of strips out of the jackets and stuff that they're in and you you know find this assortment of adventurers basically you know swords daggers at their hips um even the bartender strips off his apron and you realize that a lot of you know what you thought was just kind of girth was like layered muscle and uh they all kind of congregate around the table a little bit and the bartender says uh great Let's go kill a vampire lord. Dorn gives the bartender a dirty look. <laughs> <laughs> the bartender mimes playing the harp at you. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's Jason, your producer here. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of Cold Case. Only a handful of episodes to go until the end of this season. And even better, this week you get double the detectives as you can find our episode in the podcast of the Frostmaiden series over at the D&D Dungeon Delve podcast channel. We were lucky enough to play along in the frozen north of Icewind Dale with a handful of new characters, including our friend Bianca Bickford playing Roga, along with a cameo or two that you might recognize from the Waterdeep Detective Agency. So be sure to check out our episode along with the other four shows. There are episodes from The Venture Maidens, One Shot Onslaught, Dice Shame, and Red Moon Roleplaying. D&D Celebration is this week. It's going to be super fun, so make sure that you check out the podcasts of The Frost Maiden. As always, a few thank yous at the end of the show. Tabletop Audio and Bugbear Bubbles have been wonderful supporters, and we would not be able to make this show happen without them. Be sure to hit up both TabletopAudio.com and BugbearBubbles.com. Join the Patreon, buy some soap, get all the D&D goodness that you need, and tell them thank you for supporting our show. As always, we appreciate that you make us part of your podcast rotation every week. Thank you for listening, and tune in next time for more mystery.